Well, amen. I wanted to say something before I get started. Uh, I so appreciate all the work and time and effort that goes in each week. And I've only been here for a little over a month now, uh, but I have grown to appreciate the efforts that go on every week to make sure Sunday is not routine. Guys, I don't know if you feel it in here today, but the Spirit is so real and so thick. And that takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of prayer. And I'm glad that we worship in a place where Sundays are special every week. Now, this morning I mentioned in our first service the uh, worship team, but that goes for um, all of our volunteers. Uh, parking lot, I'll probably leave someone else, so I'm not going to make a list. Parking lot, greeters, children's workers, everybody. Uh, do a wonderful job every week making sure we experience God. And I appreciate that so much. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles today to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, Ronnie is sick today, and that's why he is not here, and so the call to the bullpen came, and the big right-hander come out, and uh, that's me. Uh, so uh, be praying for Ronnie. Uh, hopefully he gets the feeling well really soon. Uh, I make fun of Ronnie a lot, and there's a lot there to make fun of, and I enjoy doing that. Uh, but in all seriousness, it is an honor uh, for me to be able to stand here today and to take his place in bringing the Word of God to you. Galatians chapter 5. Today I want to bring somewhat of a warning, but hopefully some insight that will help you live the victorious life. I want to begin by telling you this. You have an enemy. You know this enemy very well. Matter of fact, you know this enemy better than anyone else. Now in your mind right now, you're probably thinking... He's talking about some terrorist group or some super world power. Well, we're in church, so obviously he's talking about Satan. Well, in some way, all of those can be considered enemies. But I can tell you today, your greatest enemy, the one that probably gives you more trouble than anything else or anyone else, is you. You see, living within us, is a sinful nature. The Bible refers to it as the flesh. And when we give in to that sinful nature or the flesh, it creates a lot of damage in our life. The greatest enemy that we have is us. Most of the sinful choices that we make are self-inflicted. You see, Satan can only bait you, but he cannot make you. Satan is simply a scarecrow. He's a decoy. He has no power over you. He cannot make you do anything that you do not allow him to do. We give him power in our life by the choices that we make. And so when we learn to defend ourselves against our own actions and choices, then we can save ourselves from a lot of wounds. Now, in Galatians 5 here, Paul is debating the age-old question, that he puts it this way. If grace abounds, does that mean that we can keep on sinning? Well, let me reword that a little bit. If I am saved, does that mean that I can live any old way that I want to? 
Does that mean that I can do anything that I want to do if I'm saved? Well, in many places in Scripture, Paul debated this same question with others. And he gives us an answer here in verse 13. He says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. We have liberty in Christ. We have freedom in Christ. But that is not a license to sin. Now, many have mistaken these messages and passages of Scripture and have used this as a release from the law and a license to sin. And in more places in the Bible, Paul explains the moral law of grace that is written within our hearts against the law of Moses. Now here again, it reinforces that same concept that we're not to use freedom as a springboard to sin. And so our freedom in Christ was never intended to be a license for sin. And people who view it that way have no understanding of the cross, grace, or the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because I believe that it is possible for you and I, even though we have the sinful nature within us, to live a life of victory, to live a life controlled by the Spirit of God, to live a life that is not defeated by our own fleshly desires. And I believe that you can do that by practicing two simple things that is mentioned here in this text. By practicing these two simple things, you can keep yourself from making poor choices and defend yourself against your own sinful nature. First of all, if we will practice love and service to others. When we love and serve others, it helps us to overcome that selfish attitude that we have that creates those problems within us. In the latter part of verse 15, it's 13, I'm sorry, it says, Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Now, the love here that it is speaking of is not talking about the kind of love that we have for one another but it's talking about a divine love that God has for us. We do not have the capability within ourselves to love as God loves. He loves on a much higher plane than we do. And so if we serve people and love people based on how we feel about them, that's going to be a very selective group of people because we do not have within us the ability to love people like we ought to or to serve them like we ought to. But it speaks here of the love that God has for us. And the love that he has within us should propel us and drive us to serve others. And so we're not serving and loving people based on how we feel about them, but we're serving and loving people based on the love of God that is within us. And that makes all the difference in the world. When you think about how he loves you, and that love drives you, motivates you, to love others and serve them, it puts a whole new perspective on it. We're at our best when we are serving others in the power of God's love. Now, loving and serving accomplishes two things in our life. First of all, it will satisfy the law. In verse 14, it says, For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Now, all the law requires is accomplished in this one action of loving and serving others. And Jesus sums it up like this. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Let me ask you a question. Do you desire to live a life that is pleasing to God? Are you striving to live a life of obedience to the will of God? Is that that your desire? Do you strive to live a life of obedience that is the will of God? Well, there's one simple way of doing that. Love and serve others. Can you imagine a world where everyone knew the love of God? A world where everyone loved others with the love of God in their heart? You know, we look around our world today and we see wars, famine, disease. All these negative and ugly things all around us. Can you imagine if the world was as God intended it to be in the very beginning? Where everyone loved God and loved others. The peace that we would see all around the world. When we satisfy the law in our life, we create habits of holiness. When we obey the Word of God, when we obey Scripture, when we obey the instructions and the commands of God, we create within ourselves a pattern of life of holiness. Every time you follow a command of God or you follow the teachings of Scripture, you're creating within yourself a pattern of holiness. You're creating within you a lifestyle of holiness. doesn't mean that we're perfect. doesn't mean that we're holy in everything that we do. But we're creating that lifestyle within us of holiness. And so when we're exercising and practicing those things in which God has commanded us to do in obedience to his commands, we're creating this lifestyle of holiness within us. Loving and serving others is a pattern of life that we must exercise in our life. The more we love, the more we serve. It takes the focus of ourself, off ourselves. We don't have this unselfish attitude anymore. That unselfish attitude is the one that creates that fleshly desire within us because we want to please the flesh. And so when we focus on serving and loving others, it creates more of a lifestyle of holiness than it does of that which is of the flesh. And so it fulfills the law. Secondly, it encourages unity. Look with me in verse 15. It says, But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Now here we have the picture of two animals, wild animals that are fighting. They are devouring one another in this struggle to try to survive. Some of the most passionate arguments that I see and some of the most difficult Disagreements that I see happen in the confines of family, friends, and church. Why? Because there's a lot of passion already there. There's a lot of emotions already there. We're invested in those relationships. And we have disagreements. And in those disagreements, we have a tendency to lash out and attack. But when we're loving and serving others, it builds this attitude of unity. When a church family reaches the point of tearing itself down, in essence, what they're doing is destroying their own community of faith. Listen, we're different in many ways. We have different ideas. We have different preferences. We have different passions and thoughts about things. And when you gather any group of people together, much less a group of people, the number that we have here, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have disagreement. You're going to have differences of opinions. And so it's not that we always have to agree on everything. What we have to do is learn how to love in the midst of those disagreements. 
to establish unity. And when we're serving and we're loving, that helps that process along. It's hard to hate someone that you love. It's hard to have hard feelings toward those who you serve. But when we have a selfish attitude and we're always looking at it from this selfish perspective, uh, then we look at it a little different. It changes the way we view things. One of the things we must always keep in common, no matter how different we may be, is that we love each other. In John 13, 35, it words it this way. It says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The way that you love each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We're trying to reach a world, influence a world. And the Bible tells us the way that we do that or the way we give evidence to that is that we love one another. When people see the kind of love that we have for one another, again, not because we have those feelings, but because the love of God that is within us moves us to love and serve, that it influences them also. Everyone has a need to be loved. Everyone wants to be loved. Those in the world need to be loved. They want to be in a place where love is abound, does abound. Someone once said, and it's probably true, that the church is the only organization they know of that devours its own. Guys, let me give you a little exercise here. The next time you have an inkling to critique someone or to say something negative... And listen, we all have that from time to time. We, we catch ourselves, hopefully, and we don't do it, but there's something within us that likes to critique other people. But the next time you feel that way, this is what I want you to do. Take out a piece of paper and begin to make a list. And everything that you do perfect or perfectly, you write it down. And anything that you do perfect you are allowed to critique others on. I can go ahead and tell you it's going to be a really short list. If you're like me, it's going to be a blank list because there's nothing I do perfect. I fail in so many ways. It's so easy to critique others and say negative things about others, but all that does is create disunity. But when we're serving and loving others, it creates this unity within the body of Christ that no one can divide. When we practice loving and serving others, we get our mind on the right things. We get our heart in the right place, and we get our focus in the right direction. So what I want you to do is I want you to think of ways that you can be more loving. I want you to think of ways that you can serve others. Think of some of the things that you're doing now. How can you make that a practice in your life? The second practice is this. Simply walk in the Spirit. Now, these are not earth-shattering insights that I'm giving you today. We love and serve others, and then we walk in the Spirit. In verse 16, it says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Now, here we see mentioned two powers, the Holy Spirit and the sinful nature. These two extreme opposites cannot coexist or they can coexist within your nature, but they cannot cooperate within your life. 
The Holy Spirit was given at the moment of your salvation when you were saved, when you received Christ. It enables you to exercise power over sin. But if you choose to yield to the flesh, then you remove the power of the Holy Spirit within you to a certain degree how it can influence your life, and you take over. And the flesh takes over. And we give control to the flesh within us. So we've got to walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit requires us to build up the Spirit. We've got to continually grow in our faith and grow in the Spirit and exercise and build up that Spirit within us. How do we do that? Let me give you three things here. First of all, feed the Spirit. In verse 17, it says, The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. The spirit and the flesh are always at war within us. The spirit will always resist and suppress the flesh, and the flesh in turn will always do the same to the spirit. We have these two fighting, battling within us constantly. We share the Holy Spirit of God and the sinful nature. Verse 18 says, But when you are directed... By the Spirit. You are not under obligation to the law of Moses. You are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Living by the Spirit empowers a person to live a life that is in line with the requirements of the law. But listen to this, without the restrictive obligations to the law. Jesus met all the requirements of the law when he died on the cross for us. We put our faith and trust in that sacrifice. And by doing so, we are deemed righteous, not in ourselves, but because of the righteousness of Christ. We're not obligated to the restrictive obligations of the law, but when we feed the Spirit within us, we can operate in the power of God. Spiritually speaking, you really are what you eat. And some people struggle with some sin or another, and they're battling that within themselves. And they can't understand why they're struggling with the sin. I've seen it many a times, and I've had my own struggles, and I'm sure you have as well. But they're struggling with the sin. They can't seem to understand or figure out why they're struggling with that sin. Well, let me give you a little test here that will help you draw a diagnosis of what you may or why you may be struggling. Some simple questions, somewhat elementary maybe in a way. Uh, You may think these are somewhat preschool, but they are fundamental to our faith, and I think these are the meals that we ought to be feeding ourselves every day. So ask yourself these questions. How often do you read your Bible? How often do you pray? How engaged are you with your church family? What service ministry are you invested in? How active are you in evangelism? You see, what I find is, even as simple as those questions may sound, what I find is usually when someone is struggling with a sin, they've chosen a certain sinful lifestyle, it's because they're not exercising the disciplines in their life that will feed the Spirit. They become irregular in their Bible reading. They become inconsistent in their 
church attendance. Their prayer life is suffering. Their service to others in a service ministry or a certain ministry is non-existent. And evangelism is certainly not something they're practicing. When we allow ourselves to get slack in these areas of our life, we're opening the door for the sinful nature and for temptation to take over. And so we've got to constantly feed ourselves those things which build us up, which edify the Spirit of God within us, that strengthen us. So the more we feed the Spirit, the stronger we become, the more we feed the Spirit the things that will strengthen us, the stronger our faith will be. And I can tell you this, it operates this way, junk in, junk out. <laughs> and, and, and it's just as simple as this. What do you listen to? What do you read? What do you watch? What do you invest your time in? We live in a world that is constantly fighting against everything that we believe. You go into environments every day, at work, out in the world, that is totally the opposite of everything that you are trying to do as a Christian. And if you allow those influences to become the major feeders of your life, then you're going to struggle spiritually. Because you're listening to things that are not edifying to the body, they're not glorifying to God, and so doing so, junk in, junk out. Now, we get enough junk without even trying. It's there. It's always around us. And so what we have to do is be intentional about making sure we're getting the good things in us that feed and build up the Spirit of God, the Word of God, prayer, worship, sharing, serving, ministry, all of those things that God has provided for us to strengthen the relationship that we have with Him. And so we've got to feed the Spirit. Secondly, we've got to produce spiritual fruit. Produce spiritual fruit in verse 19. And I love these verses here. Uh, matter of fact, I believe you could preach a whole series just on these verses alone. You may want to make a note and go back and reread these and reread these often because it gives us a great picture of the contrast between the life that is spiritually driven and the life that is not. In verse 19, it says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, and then it's going to give us a list, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, jealousy, uh, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. I tell you, that describes a lot of churches, does it not? <laughs> Lighten up a little bit, you can laugh. It is, it's, unfortunately, there are a lot of churches that are characterized, there's a lot of Christian relationships that are characterized by those words. And then verse 21, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Now, I hope those are not part of it. <laughs> Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And those are strong words. Those are strong words. What he is saying here is if your life is characterized by this list, and this is not an exhaustive list, but by these things, and chances are you're not saved, you're not a believer, you don't know Jesus, the Spirit doesn't dwell in you, and you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But then verse 22, it gets much better. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces 
these kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now that's the list I want to be on. That's the list I want to characterize my life. That's the list I want people to see. It goes on in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. We crucified the sinful nature by nailing it to the cross of Jesus. And so when people look at us and people talk about us, when they talk about our church and who we are, we want them to view us from this standpoint. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. That's what we want to look like. That's what we want to smell like. That's what we want to produce through our life. That's the kind of fruit that we should be producing as Christians. And as we surrender our lives to Christ on a day-by-day basis and come underneath the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit gives us power to live above sin and produce the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Now, one easy way I can tell you to be able to identify a fruit tree, and I by no means know anything about gardening, trees, any of those things, but one way it's easy to identify a fruit tree is to identify the fruit that it bears. Does that mean I should quit? I don't. <laughs> if I go to a store and I buy a tree yet to produce fruit, I take that tree, I plant it in my yard, it begins to grow. At some time, at some point, it produces fruit. Now, I can go out and I can tell you whether or not that tree is what I thought it was when I bought it from the store. If I thought it was an apple tree and my tree is producing bananas, and I like bananas, but if it's producing bananas, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that it's an apple tree. We can tell what a tree is by the fruit that it bears, but I can tell you the world can tell what you are by the fruit that you bear. Christians should produce fruit that can be identified with a Christian life. If your life cannot be characterized by the fruits of the Spirit, then you're not walking in the Spirit. We've got to produce good fruit. And then lastly, we've got to radiate the Spirit. Radiate the Spirit. In verse 25 it says, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. One commentary put it this way. The responsibility of the believer is to desire the life of Christ-like likeness, to depend upon the Holy Spirit for the power to live that life and to stop or to step out on faith and live that life. This fulfilled will bring all the infinite resources of grace to the aid of the believer and put in operation all the activities of the Spirit on his behalf. And then verse 26 says this, Let us not become conceited, or provoke one another, or be jealous of one another. If we're going to provoke one another, we need to do so in a good way. That we're provoking one another to produce fruit, positive fruit, good fruit, fruit that is identified with who we are and who we are in Christ. Having the Holy Spirit and living according to the Holy Spirit is two different things. 
If you're, a sa- if you're saved, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in your life, it doesn't mean you're living according to the Holy Spirit. Again, this has to be an intentional process, a practice in our life, that we're in tune, we're sensitive to what the Spirit is doing in our life, we're feeding the Spirit, we're producing fruit of the Spirit, and we're radiating the Spirit out of our life and reflecting the Spirit to the world. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to suppress the sinful nature and to live in the freedom of that holiness. So if you're living your life in the power of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit is being projected through your lifestyle, the world's going to know it. And remember this statement here. It is not so much what people think about you that matters, but it is what they know about you that matters. They can't see what is within your heart, but they can see the evidence of what's going on in your heart. Guys, it is imperative that we live according to the Spirit. There's probably someone here today and you're struggling, maybe with a sin. Maybe it's even become a habit in your life. And because of that, you've lost the joy of your salvation. Because of that, you're struggling, you're living in defeat instead of in victory. And you don't know how to get out of it. You want out of it, but you don't know how. You've tried. You've just tried to quit. You've tried to stop. You've tried to get away from it. You've done everything you know to do, but yet it's still there. I would take the advice of the Apostle Paul today. And on the authority of the Word of God, begin loving and serving others and live according to the Spirit. If you will do those two things, I promise you that the joy of your salvation will be restored and you can live in victory over sin. and Be influenced by the power within you and not the power in this world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that you've given to us to be able to live this abundant life. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that is struggling with some sin, Father, we're not here to condemn or judge. We all battle every day with the sinful nature and the temptations all around us. But I know how destructive it can be so if there's someone here today that is struggling with a sin, or maybe they've chosen a sinful lifestyle, Father, I pray that you would draw them to yourself today, that they would feel the love that you have for them, that they would feel the love that we have for each other. God, today they would take the first step living in victory, the first step to defeating the sinful nature, that they would stop hurting themselves and being their own worst enemies and begin to practice holiness, loving and serving others, walking in the Spirit. God, give them that victory today. Give us the victory over sin. Give us the victory over our sinful temptations in nature. 
God, we leave here today rejoicing in the Lord with the joy of our salvation, knowing that you have given us the power and the ability to walk in victory. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name, amen.